Webster Baptist. So I want to um, take a look at this list, this long list of Paul talks about some of the things he endured as a, as a believer, as he endure, endured as, a, um, as an apostle. And, and then I kind of, I, w- I want to call that Paul's resume, and then I want to I ask you about your resume. What's your resume look like in your um, relationship to God? And then I also want to try to answer that question, like, well, why would God... Why would following God include so many difficulties? Like, why is, the, is this part of the, is this normal? Because if you go some places, some places tell you that if you love God, you won't have any difficulties. And if God is truly with you, everything you do will be blessed. Um, that's not biblical. But the biblical picture is that we will, we will face many difficulties now, Paul faced, he gives a list of difficulties he faced simply for being um, uh, such a powerful, useful uh, witness to God and the gospel. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at that. If you're looking for kind of a, um, if you're a big note taker or you want to get a mental picture. So here, here's, the, here's the topic. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. A normal part of the Christian life. Suffering is a normal part. It's abnormal. If you're going through suffering, you're like, oh, that's normal. That doesn't mean God has forsaken you. It means you're alive. You're breathing. Okay, so the first thing I want to look at, I want to look at really kind of three things. First of all, let's talk about Paul boasting and bragging a little bit. It's like, well, we're always saying, that's not good. You shouldn't, my parents are like, don't brag. Don't be a bragger. Don't boast. Talk about yourself. Let someone else commend you or whatever. So, but Paul had a reason, and Paul actually did some, some pretty big bragging here in the Bible. But he, he, he opens up by saying he wasn't real comfortable with it. Um, he, he had said earlier in the beginning of chapter 11, bear with me in a little foolishness. And then he says in verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. In other words, I know this seems crazy. Again, he says, even if you do accept me as a fool... So that I may boast a little. So let me tell you why he was boasting. He was boasting to promote the name of Christ. When we boast, we're usually wanting to promote our name. That's the big difference. Paul was doing it out of obedience to Jesus. Remember, the whole, the whole Bible is inspired by God. And so Paul's boasting, at least in this in this occasion, in this written word, he was inspired by God. He was under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This needed to be part of the defense of the gospel. So Paul goes through some things and he... I, I like to think of it like this. Paul was willing to do anything to promote, promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was willing to suffer... And he was even willing to talk in a way that felt foolish to him. And so that's kind of a good question for us. What, what am I willing to do? I asked that question, like, what am I willing to do because I love God? Am I willing to be uncomfortable? Are I willing to do something that someone thinks I'm foolish? Am I willing to do something that doesn't feel right? I'm kind of a little embarrassed about it. If God told me to, would I, would I do it? So 
That's the first question. That one's pretty easy. Now I want to look at Paul's resume. Um, it's crazy. If you read through this, I'm just going to list these. There's 25 of them. I'm going to go back and put them in numerical order um, so you can kind of get, a, get a, a feel for this. So this is Paul's resume. No one could match Paul's resume, not even close. It doesn't even sound real, but it's 100% real. This makes Indiana Jones look like a Cub Scout. If it's not real, they would have immediately called him out, declared him a liar, and then that would have disqualified him for the ministry. Yet Paul calls God to the witness stand. Places, he's basically putting his hand on the Bible and say, and God is my witness. Because when you come to the end, he says, um, he says that, uh, in verse 31, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus who is blessed forever knows I'm not lying. So he like, that's like his way of saying, God is my witness. And then he gives this resume. So listen to this stuff. So he says, well, you can't be more Jewish than I am. If that's a uh, requirement, because he has perfect Jewish credentials. He's like, I'm born Hebrew, I'm born, I'm an Israelite, and I can trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham. So that's like, okay, that's a good start. That was important to them. That was a credential. Um, and then he says, about, well, about serving God, I did it better than you do. I'm a better servant of Christ. As far as working hard, Far greater labors. I worked harder than any of these guys. And the truth of the matter, it was true. Who could refute? If anyone knew Paul and knew about his travels, and they wouldn't refute that. It's like I, he worked more hours. He worked harder. He was more devoted. He committed his life. You ever seen those um, the things that come up around the Olympics and they show, uh, they pick an athlete and they show how dedicated they were and you're like going, oh man, that guy didn't have a life. And that's the way you would have felt if you had met Paul. It's like if you watch Paul's life, like, what else does he live for? It's just one thing. If there was ever a man that lived for one thing, it was Paul. It's like, all right, you want to match commitment with me? And then he says, far more imprisonments. Um, some of you may have been in prison, but I don't think it was for your bold Christianity. I think it was probably... For some mistakes you made. But he was there simply because he loved God so much. Countless beatings. Almost to death. He was beaten. Almost beaten to death multiple times. Um, by the Jews. He was beaten with what, what they call. Um, 39 lashes or 40 minus 1. The Old Testament says you can beat someone 40 times. I'm under, my understanding is. And I read this. That in the, the Mishnah. Or some Jewish writings. They said well the reason it was 39 not 40, because they were afraid. They were so meticulous in keeping the law. It's like, well, if the law says you can beat them up to 40, we want to make sure that the guy whipping doesn't lose count and go over one because that would violate the law. So let's just make it 39 in case he, you know, we don't, go, we don't want to go beyond beating them and beating them 49 times, 41 times. So they said, let's do 39, 40 minus 1. Like get right up to the limit. And so I hit it five times. Five times he had a professional whipper. Someone who was professional at punishing people. He's like part of the KGB or something. And he whips them 39 times. He had that five different occasions. He had his back just mauled. They take their shirt off, lay over a rock, and whip them as hard as they can. 
39 times. Uh, do you, are any of you guys, I'm sure you were in the locker room, they did the, um, the towel and the... How'd that feel? Yeah, it did hurt. That's not as bad as a whip. That's a towel, a rat tail. Pretty good fight. Some guys come out of there with some whelps on them. Rarely do they come out with blood on them. Not occasionally. 39 times beaten like that. Or five, five different times beaten almost to the point of death. Beaten with rods. Um, I mean... When I was a kid, it wouldn't be unusual. It would probably be unusual now, but as I was a kid, if I acted up at Grandma's house, she might say, go out and get some switches. My parents didn't use switches. They used a boat paddle. But Grandma was switches. Dad was boat paddle. Um, it was a good life back then. Um, <laughs> but we're not talking switches. We're talking about a rod as a capital punishment. This was the Roman punishment. The Jewish punishment was the whip. The Roman punishment was the rod. And the intention of the rod, they say, I read that sometimes they would hang you upside down and they would beat you on your feet in an attempt to break all of your bones in your feet with a rod. And that was a, a severe punishment. Or just, they would beat you and they're going to be breaking your bones. Paul had that three different times. Stoned with rocks. You ever had the privilege of getting hit with a rock? I'm, I know some of you have been stoned, but this is a different kind. This is with rocks. None of anybody here has been stoned like Paul was. I've been hit with a rock. We, when we were boys, we were dumb enough to throw rocks at each other. And it usually hit stopped when someone got hit. And then everybody got mad. And, and then he said, well, I wasn't aiming at your head. but Shipwrecked three times. Shipwrecked, life-threatening. A ship wrecks because there's a giant storm coming. And one time he was adrift for 24 hours, just probably holding on to a piece of wood from the ship, a piece of furniture, uh, something out of the boat that would float. Constant travel, and travel was so hard for them. Travel wasn't easy, and Paul didn't travel as a wealthy man. He traveled as a, a man of small means. So when he traveled, it was hard. And, and as he traveled, some of the dangers, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from Jews. There were Jews, do you remember, the, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a group of Jews that swore that they wouldn't eat until they had killed Paul. They wouldn't eat until Paul died. Well, guess what? Paul didn't die. I have a feeling some of them snuck a biscuit. I don't think they kept their vow. Um, but Paul was always, often in danger of his life just because he loved God. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brethren. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, many times hungry and thirsty, cold and exposed. The pressure, another pressure that he had that none of them had was the pressure of all the churches. Think of all the churches. If Some of you may have a map in back of your Bible and it shows Paul's travels and it's unparalleled. His missionary journeys 
without a boat, without a motorboat, without a car, without an airplane, no train, no bus. Pretty much what he did, he walked. Even if you had an animal, you probably put your, your food on the pack of your camel, donkey, whatever, and you walked. So most of that's foot miles. Miles and miles and miles all around the Mediterranean. All around, way everywhere. Miles and miles and miles. And he traveled. He was ex many times hungry and thirsty, cold and exposed, the pressure of anxiety for all the churches. All those churches on the missionary maps, Paul's first, second, third missionary journey, fourth journey. And then one time he was lowered in a basket to escape Damascus. I'm not real keen on, you know, some people don't even like elevators. But a basket... Um, he had to do that because they were looking for his life. They were going to kill him. So he had to sneak out of a window in the wall of Damascus and be lowered in a basket. Running, He had to run for his life. Okay, so um, let, let me see. That's Paul's resume. So look, let me just ask this question. Why? Why God? When you go through hard times, don't you ask why God? Maybe some of you are right now in a hard place and you're going, why God? Why? How, how is this part of my Christian experience? Why is this good? I don't see any good coming out of it. I did a, I did a funeral yesterday. And everyone was asking, why God? I did a funeral for a young man that grew up in this church. And his family is very close to many of you. He's 27 years old and he was my son's friend. And it was probably at least the 10th, and some people are saying it might even be as high as 20 of people of his little group of his age who've died. And they're so young. Um, and someone would say, why? Why, why, all these, why suffering? Why is this? Why? And how can that be good? And how can some of them, how can some of them even possibly be Christians? And then this happening in Christian families, and why do Christian families go through this? And why is this, Lord, what? I don't see any good in this. So, which means I, I want to talk about two, two kinds of suffering. And one suffering was suffering for your faith. And that's what Paul is saying, like suffering for your faith. And another kind of suffering is to build your faith. One is the suffering of a Christian, of Christianity. The other is just suffering as being a member of humanity. One person suffers because he takes a stand on something and people don't like it. Another person, uh, another kind of suffering that we all experience is just because we're alive. Everyone goes through things. And so how do we sort through this to make sense of the purposes of God? Yesterday, I just can't... Everyone I talked to, long line, lots of people, lots of people I know, don't understand, don't understand. And, and they're wanting me to explain to them, can you explain? And all I can say is I, I can't explain to your satisfaction. But I can say this, I know God is good. And I know one day I'll understand, but right now I can't. I can't give you the answer 
that you want. But I think I can give you the answer that you need. And they just trust God and in time, not in this life more than likely, He'll answer things that always troubled us and bothered us. So, let me read a few scriptures and maybe these will help. And I'll kind of give you how the Bible kind of answers some of this. Um, if you want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We, we went over this a few, a few months back when we were here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. I, I want to say this to you. Do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the first answer is, don't lose heart. God is doing something beyond what the eye can see. Okay? Don't lose heart, friend. Don't lose heart if you're going through something really hard right now or if you've been through something and you've still never been able to wrap your mind around it. Don't lose heart because God is working. And Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians 11, wrote 2 Corinthians 4. And he could look at all that he had been through and he calls it a light momentary affliction. Not because it was light, not because it felt light, but it was a comparison. It's a light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. So whatever you're going through right now, God wants to help you get perspective. It says there's a better day coming. Okay, there's a day. Um, how many of you are familiar with that? There's a, um, a lot of catechisms, little question and answer kind of Christian teaching. A lot of catechisms will say what is man's chief end or what is the primary purpose of man? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the answer. Why are we here? To glorify God and that we might enjoy Him forever. And that helps. When I come to a trial, I'm like, why, why is this part of my life? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How? I don't understand. Um, I don't understand. So Matthew chapter 5, 11 and 12, we're told that we'll, just because we're Christians, we'll suffer some, of, some things just because we love Jesus. In Matthew 5, 11 and 12, it says... Um, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets, they will persecute you. So if you claim to love Jesus and you're faithful to that claim, then you'll have some hard times. People won't like it if you tell the truth. People won't like it if you, um, you know, um, let's just say that you someone wants to cheat off your paper and you're a student and you say no and they'll all get mad at you or let's just say that you're a girl and your guy wants to have sex with you and say no I'm not I'm not doing that I, I have a standard I mean as a Christian I've chosen not to do that I'm saving for marriage and you probably might lose your boyfriend 
or girlfriend, whatever, one way or the other, or you got a group of friends and, and they want to go um, get drunk, get high, and you're like going, hey, I'm just going to tell you guys, I became a Christian, and I've, I've kind of I've stopped that. And they're like going, well, oh, Mr. Goody, and they don't want to hang out with you more. Or if you come up to someone and you're at work and there's a little conversation going on and they're all talking about maybe they're into politics and they're just all saying, man, we need to defend the right for a woman to choose, right for a woman to choose. And you're like going, hey, I'm kind of, I'm pro-life. I, I believe my Christian conviction is that someone who at the point of conception, that's a, that's a real person and an image bearer of God. And I know that's that the very, 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 very beginning. So you might say that that person is not a person until they come out, but I say to the person when they're in, like right from the beginning, that's a person. And so I, cu I couldn't side with killing a person. And you talking about stirring up some trouble. If you're faithful to God in the little things, even where you are, you don't have to be Paul. It's right where you are if you're faithful. You'll get some heat for it. But isn't it worth it to glorify God and looking forward to enjoying Him forever? If that's what it means to live out the Christian life and you get a little heat, then it's like that's whatever heat you might get. Paul's saying that's a light momentary affliction compared to the greater glory ahead. Like when you get there, you'll go, man, that was small beans. When you're there, it feels like a, a raging fire when you're in the middle of something. But he says, when you get there, you're going to look back and go, man, Lord, now that I look back, that just like, it wasn't near as bad as I thought it was. And now, I, Lord, I'd do it again for you. I'd do it all again for you. Okay, and then, um, well, if you want to look these other verses up, I'm going to mention because they're really helpful. One is Romans 8. Go all the way back to verse 26 to 39, and that whole section is like a package describing the purpose of God and how, like, Lord, if I commit it to you, you work all things for good, and I'm not about to let go of you. I'm not going to let famine, persecution, danger, war, tribulation, anything, as nothing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ. It's like, Lord, I love you, and I know it's going to work out. I don't understand how. I don't even like the path I'm on, but if, if I'm walking with you, then I'm going to trust you, knowing it'll work for good, and also knowing that I'm not going to let go of you. I'm going to hold on to you because you're my treasure. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, it says, um, Count it all joy when you face trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith develops um, perseverance, character, and God will bring it to completion. There's another chapter a lot like that in Romans 5, 3 to 5. It kind of goes, what is the purpose of suffering? Um, persecution and trials, build your faith and, and God's perfecting. It's part of your sanctification is what a trial is about for the Christian. And Hebrews 11, the whole chapter is about people and all the things they went through. And it says that this was because they had faith in God, they were able to endure ridiculous, unbelievable things. And that chapter on faith, for most of them, their faith was displayed in the midst of trials. So, um, let me say this. Uh, Paul understood that his hardship 
in life, the many things he faced were in order that Jesus Christ might be magnified. And he was willing to go through them. So can I pose a, a challenge to you? Would you be willing to go through what God has for you? That he might be exalted? Would you let him pick? Would you trust him enough with your life and knowing what you need and knowing what you're capable of handling? Would you trust him to embrace what he has so that he might be glorified and that one day you'll be exalted? Would you trust him to drive, to lead? Would you? Would you ask him, ask him, you have perfect, God grants you perfect freedom and permission to say, Lord, would you remove this trial? And then to pray as Jesus did, but not my will, yours be done. That's bold. Because we're like going, Lord, I don't like hard things. Get me out of them right now. And let me tell you how God can use hard things. If you're not a Christian, well, let me just read what I wrote. Because I think maybe this will help. Suffering is common to all. There are so many different kinds of suffering. There are different levels of suffering. There are different reasons for suffering. There are different lessons out of suffering. There are different reactions to suffering. But there's always one goal. And that's the glory of God. To a non-believer, the goal is that you might call upon the Lord and be saved. So many conversions have come in an hour of suffering. Without the suffering and the loss I experienced in my life, I wouldn't have become a Christian. So many have finally collapsed at the feet of Jesus in exhaustion and in realization that they cannot and do not desire to live any longer trying to manage and control their own lives. And finally they are brought so low that at last they look up to God and surrender to His will and call upon His mercy. God is greatly glorified when those who suffer look to Him to be delivered. Angels rejoice and God delights when the clenched fist of a hardened heart finally opens in the raging storm to reach for the hand of God. All it takes and ever has taken is to open the heart to God and suddenly a balled up fist melts into an open hand. When the heart surrenders, the hand opens and God takes hold and pulls you upward. So can you see the purpose that God might have for something you're going in, something your loved one's going in? If you have um, many of us who, when our kids are not Christian, the very thing we're doing is like, Lord, deliver them from this trial, deliver them from this trial, deliver from this trial. And maybe God is saying it's through the trial that I want to save them. I have to bring them down because they've rejected every offer made to them so far. So then our prayer becomes, Lord, do whatever is required to save them. Because eternity is that important. That's a very different prayer than saying, Lord, spare them from all discomfort and spare them from all bad days and bless them and don't let them skin their knees and don't let them have problems. Don't let them experience heartache and pain. 
Instead, you should be praying, Lord God, please reach them, whatever it takes. Um, and then the second thing I, I want to just say to the, if you're a believer, if you're not a believer, your trial is intended that you would call upon God in the midst of it. That's why you have trials, so that you might call upon God. If you're a believer, then there might be several reasons for you to call why you're going through a trial. And it could be because God has a new lesson that He wants to teach you, and that's the only way. It could be that God, you've been off track and you've not been paying attention to God and so He's summoning you back through a trial. Suddenly you're like going, man, I need God in my life. Where did I get off track here? And it could be that a trial is the very means and kiss of God to bring you back to your knees before God, to recognize your need for God. It could be evangelistic. Your trial might be to save other sinners. Your trial might be God's evangelism as other people near you watch you go through something so hard and they wonder, could I ever go through something like that? That person, and they see your faith in God and they go, man, I need, I couldn't, I couldn't navigate the waters they're in. I don't know how they did it. And you ask them and they say, it's because of God and His kindness and goodness He's been with me. Has it been easy? It's not been easy. It's been the hardest thing I've ever been through in my whole life. But one thing I've done and that's cling to God. And it's been hard. And another thing might be to model, to model, to be an example, to model to others what they're going through. Someone else is going through something. And there's more people coming up behind them. Um, I'll, I'll give an example, just one example. For those of us who watch David Steens go through his cancer, we're saying that's what faith looks like. That's what it looks like to walk with God. That's what it looks like when Janice and David walk through that together. That's what it looks like to have faith in God when the trial comes. Um, to the believer, it also might just simply mean um, re a time to recenter your life. It could be that in that hour you're, you recenter your life upon God. So I just want to close. Come on up here, musicians. Um, here's, here's uh, I, I feel like uh, looking at you guys, this is like a big Debbie Downer. So let me, <laughs> let me see if I can get us up. Get us up. We're like down here. So let, let, me, let me talk about this. i tell you what, I can, I can bring this thing back up. I can read Romans 8. And I can read what it says right there at the end of Romans 8. When you're going through trials, you just pull out a little Romans 8 on yourself. Okay, you go to Romans 8, go to the end, and please don't stop at verse 28. Just read on. When you get to Romans 8, 28, this is so true, but listen to this. In Romans 8, 28, it's the verse he says, We know that those who love God, all things work together for good. And those who are called according to His purpose. So the first thing is behind whatever we're going through is the purpose and plan of God. And so that's our first comfort. But then I, I want to read on a little bit because as you go through it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. He will, not, will He not also give, with us gracious, give to us graciously uh, all things? Um, and then it goes on to say, that um, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then it says, um, no matter what we go through, 
danger, famine, war, persecution. Um, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So I, I, I guess I want to say um, let's try to reorient our perspective. God is not forsaken you, my friend. He loves you. And He wants to use your life. That's why we're still here. We're here so other people can see Jesus. And I see Jesus when someone who loves Him clings to them for their very lives in their deepest, darkest hours. That reflects the goodness and glory of God when I see someone who's on the edge of the cliff and they're still holding to Jesus, then I know I, what I need to do when I get there. When I'm on that cliff, I know that I have one job, and that's to hold on to Jesus. And that as I do that, someone's going to be watching, and they're going to see that Jesus can, hang pe can hold on to people who are hanging on the edge of the cliff. He's strong enough to hold his end of the rope, okay? You just hold on to Jesus. He is more than strong enough to hold his end of the rope. And he wants to show you how strong he is in some of the most difficult seasons of your life. Okay, you understand a little bit more about God's purpose? Okay, well, let's, let's pray. Father, I just pray right now that you would minister to anyone here who's here and they, they just feel like they're on that edge. And they need to know that you're strong enough and maybe more than that, maybe they don't doubt that you're strong enough, but maybe they doubt they are. Maybe their doubt isn't on your side, but it's on their side. Maybe they don't think they're strong enough to hold on to the rope. Lord God, come right now into the heart of every person in this room and anyone that's holding on the end of that rope and realize that you not only will hold the rope, you will hold them. It's not the strength of their grip. It's resting in you. It's not up to them. It's not up to us. We simply rest in you. Please help us understand that when we feel like we're struggling. It's not up to us. It's up to you. It's not how tightly we hold the rope. It's how you hold us, us. And we just fall into trusting. I pray for anyone here, oh God, who feels like they're there today. That you would let them feel the strength of your grip. As they look at the cross of Jesus. Would you not, who gave your only son, do everything required to hold us safely in your arms? We know you will. I pray, oh God, if there's anyone here today, as we sing, may all of us just renew our commitment to trusting in you. And God, if there's anyone here today who wants to trust you for the very first time, then I recommend call upon the Lord and say Lord teach me to rest in the finished work of Jesus and that is sufficient in his name we pray amen